friends is, oh, I'm not Hedy Amiramati. <laughs> Let me turn that off. My name is Andy Falco Jimenez, which you can see right here. Andy Falco, and I'm here from Orange County, California. Uh, today is going to be, I believe, it is going to be a much shorter show um, than yesterday's show. But if you missed it, you may want to watch it when you have some time. It's an hour and a half. You can skip through parts of it. If you already know some of my background, just go ahead and skip the first part of it. And you'll get to the point where we start talking about the, uh, the more complex problems uh, that we have facing law enforcement as we go into the next decade uh, where we are now losing so many veteran officers. They, um, the officers that have experience that have either been in patrol for a period of time and then were transferred to uh, detectives or investigator or a special crimes unit. Maybe they went to helicopter canines, equestrian, whatever it is, SWAT team that you have your essentially your basic training through patrol work. If you're a police officer, if you're a sheriff deputy, quite often you go to the jails first and work in the jail system for a little while. And then after the jail system, then you go out to patrol and then you get put in all these other specialized details. So what we're going to be losing and what we have been losing over the last two or three years in particular and earlier than normal are all of these uh, officers who have experience 10 20, 30 years of experience of not only working in patrol, but in all these other specialized details. Like me, I was a patrol officer, then I went to canine. Uh, while I was both in patrol and canine, uh, at times I observed in the helicopter, and I was also on the SWAT team. And, um, and so that period of time, that first 10 years of my career working in the helicopter, working on the SWAT team, um, uh, working in patrol and working in the canine unit, I experienced a lot of different things that many police officers and some of these smaller police departments don't get the experience because there's so few officers and there's so few positions. Sometimes when an officer changes into a, a uh, crimes person, uh, person's position like homicide or robbery or um, even uh, sex crimes or something like that, they quite often stay there for years and it takes uh, time unless in the procedure manual it says you'll only do so many years and then you have to move or rotate or go somewhere else. Um, uh, that may be more prevalent now. It wasn't necessarily at Anaheim Police Department where I was. And so you would gain all this information and knowledge and but you, what you would be able to do is if you do go back down to patrol, say you're in uh, family crimes like I was, I went into from patrol I went into family crimes and then into sex crimes and then I went back to patrol because I became the canine trainer for the police department and what I was able to do was take that experience that I learned as a detective which is a completely different perspective than what you have from a patrol officer as a patrol officer you're responding to the calls you're taking the initial reports you're uh, doing the initial interviews with the victims and the suspects and the witnesses and then turning in a report it gets to a detective and now the detective takes the next half or the next part of an investigation, which entails quite often things that have to do with what winner when or if you read somebody their Miranda rights and whether they do it and how it is they do it. Do they do it out of custody or in custody to the investigations, which then what does a witness maybe sometimes turn into a suspect? Does a, a, uh, a suspect actually turn out to be a not a suspect and now you have to find a different one and you have all these things that now uh, you learn that you did not learn as a patrol officer necessarily because in that position again you're the initial responder and then the detective is the the follow-up you have id techs that come in and do fingerprinting and photographing and measurements and uh, evidence collection and all kinds of things that you get experience doing all those things and so 
what we're losing is are all of those core people that have tons of experience that gain them knowledge, which is going to be important as we go forward on this particular show as to why the Uvalde officers froze and why other officers freeze when it comes to some of these incidents that aren't those that happen every day. Uh, school shootings may may happen in a jurisdiction and, and in many cases never happen in a jurisdiction. And so you rarely have somebody who has had experience with a school shooting or um, somebody that... Um, you know, has been through the investigation of a school shooting, because unless one happens in your jurisdiction or in your in your uh, city or county, then the only knowledge you get is from a class or from what somebody else tells you. And that is not the same as living out the experience of being involved in the actual, um, you know, live experience of being at the scene of a shooting, an active shooter situation where you are seeing what's happening, you're, you're taking in what's happening, you're experiencing what hap- what's happening, the, the noises, the smells, um, the sights that you see, all the complexities that happen with something that's an active shooter situation. If you don't live it, the only way you get that experience is through a PowerPoint presentation and the experience of somebody telling a story. This is what I saw next. This is what we did that worked. This is what we did that didn't work. And so those are two completely different things. Um, so I understand that, that that is so important to remember as we try to figure out what went wrong at Uvalde. Now, as I said yesterday, I don't know everything. Why? Because in the first, the, the first thing that went wrong in Uvalde, other than um, way more children and the teacher probably were killed than should have, other than, than that very, very important detail. The aftermath, what happened afterwards was the bad, bad communication. Again, this is the first sign that I saw when um, I began watching the news reports. It was like hours after, maybe an hour or two afterwards, you had your first spokesman come on, or maybe it was three or four hours afterwards. You had your first spokesman come on, and I'm not sure how many of you heard this guy, and I wish I could remember who he was, but he sounded like probably a lieutenant, maybe a sergeant, maybe the um, the uh, information officer that that's their job is to talk to the press. But what I first what I first heard come out of his description of what went on was my first sign that it went horribly wrong because there was really no thought um, other than we have to make sure and cover our asses <laughs> in this happened because it to me it sounded like he was really trying hard to portray, portray these the officers that were there as heroes that was his first um, message that he was trying to get out because he was trying to protect the police department. Somehow I know that he knew that it went horribly wrong, that something went wrong because all he talked about every sentence he ended with, Oh, and these heroes did an amazing job. These heroes went right in these heroes, uh, you know, responded, ran to gunfire, all the typical nonsense words that, uh, people say, um, that, Um, seems to be where they're overdoing it in in order to try to make something sound better than it actually was. And that really was one of the first things that I thought when I heard it, like, uh uh-oh, 
something's not right because you heard very little detail, but you heard about all of this other stuff that really was like, okay, no, we don't want to, we don't, we know, we know officers can be heroes. We know they, they can do the right thing, but what happened here? And so then what happens is then you have somebody else come in and now you have this snowball of bad information that comes out because now everybody is trying to cover their asses. And that is the first sign that you have a department. That's my first sign. If I was to be the uh, officer that I am sometimes that gets called, hey, I want you to look at all this evidence, all this discovery, police reports, videos, audio recordings. I have so many on my on my computer right now that I get sent from police departments. Hey, Andy, we need you to look at all this stuff and tell us what you think about what right, what wrong, um, what it is that we need to know about what really happened on this day, because we have the police report that says one thing. We have a, um, you know, a PR report, a, uh, you know, some type of newscast or some type of some type of interview recording. We have the crime scene pictures, which I looked at. We have sometimes the body cams of the officers that were actually there. And they say, Andy, look at all this stuff. And you, um, as an expert, you tell us what it is that you think about what happened on this day. And, and so then I begin to go through it and it begins to tell a, a little bit of a different story. That's what, what's written in the, in the police report. We're told by the IPO or the information officer that um, is speaking for the department um, and maybe whoever other spokesperson they go to to talk about stuff that some of these things don't match up. They said they went right in, but wait a minute. I see that the, the uh, timestamp on the video starts at, you know, one minute, you know, whatever, that 33 seconds and whatever. Uh, and then nothing's happening until you get to minute 10 or minute 60 which is in this case is when some things actually started to happen you go that doesn't line up to what they said it to the cameras on that day and that's not what's written in the police report and this happens a lot now uh is it on purpose in this case i think it was in this case, I think they saw that they, they needed to cover their butts a little bit and they were hoping, which is not going to happen. This is one of the most ridiculous things out of everything is that you think as the IPO or the chief of police or the lieutenant who decides I'm going to get on camera and get some FaceTime and, 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 and spout out this crap that you think nobody's going to find out. That, that's how, you know, again, I keep coming back to this. We have an inexperienced police department that doesn't know how to handle this type of situation when it's occurring. And then after it occurred, you, you have no experience, no living experience, nothing to fall back on to go. You know what? Last time I did that, it didn't work out very well. So instead, I'm going to just tell the truth. You know, you have nothing um, uh, that um, you can fall back on that will help you through your very first time dealing with this kind of thing. And unfortunately, at Uvalde, it appears to me not only um, did they did they come out too quickly with a statement and somebody to, to try to give them a bunch of BS that wasn't true, which really makes you look bad later on down the road because nothing of what I heard in the very first interview is in line with what we know now. And right now, I still don't think we know everything we need to know. All right, so that was my first sign. The first sign is that they don't know how to handle this in a, in a, in a press briefing or um, on a PR standpoint. And so we know we're, we're at a department that doesn't really know what they're doing. And uh, whose fault is that? It is the, the police department's fault. Quite frankly, it is the leadership's fault that they did not prepare and did not uh, take the time to slow things down. And I know people want people are knocking on the door. People are calling. People are are demanding answers. Parents are demanding answers. But here is the thing is that you, this is it happens all the time. 
you have to put the brakes on and say, you know what? We, we're just not prepared. We haven't gone through all the information. There's so much information. We don't want to have to come back and correct anything because we came out too soon. And that's just the way sometimes things have to be that maybe waiting an extra 20 minutes, maybe waiting an extra hour, maybe even waiting an extra two hours. Maybe you take the parents by themselves into a room uh, of the victims uh, and you say, okay, this is what we know. And we want to tell you, we're just not prepared to tell the world yet because we don't have all the information but at least get them together there's so many different ways you can do this that again since you've already didn't do at least as far as i can tell any of those things that um this department was not prepared for this thing all right so now let's talk about um I'm going to be showing you some weapons. So I want to make sure that if you're watching this and in weapons like gun, handguns scare you or you get your little feelers hurt or you begin to, uh, what is it, what is it called? You get triggered uh, because you see weapons. I'm going to be showing you some weapons because I want to show them in order to show you what it is that officers are confronted with when they come to this kind of scene and what they're confronted. To. I'm going to have, I have a second camera that I'm going to show you a door entry, just preliminary. I'm not going to go to too much detail, but just some basic knowledge so that you understand what it is that the officers had to deal with. You may have already heard this stuff, but I want to give you a visual of what this kind of looks like. I don't have all the tools, but I do have enough of the, of the tools and including the weapons that you can see um, where the fear begins to set in. Uh, all right. And so I just want to make sure and give you that disclaimer. If any of this hurts your feelings, uh, like the person who couldn't stand seeing the koozie at a Kroger, I think it is. And, and, it, and it triggered her and she got all full of vapors and she had to call Kroger and said, I can't look at this uh, koozie because it has an American flag on it and uh, a picture of a handgun. Um, and so I need you to remove it from its shelves. And apparently they did that because one person got the vapors from a koozie. All right. I'm, I'm telling you up front, I'm going to show you some guns. One of them is an AR-15. 15 and one of them is a handgun. And so I just want you to know that. All right. So let's talk about fear and in relationship to police officers as they are uh, on our way to a call. So what happens when you're on patrol? You're on patrol um, or you're actually in the station and you're listening to the radio. Sometimes the radio is on in the station. You can hear what's going on or maybe at your desk. If you're a detective, you may on occasion have the radio on and you can hear what's going on. Uh, and all of a sudden this call comes in of a of an active shooter inside of an elementary school. And and again, if the, the inside the police department, if the radios are not on quite often when something like this happens, especially in a, a small police department, um, dispatch will call into this into the, you know, the PA of the, the station and say, everybody be aware we have an active shooter because in a small department, quite often they have to pull from people that are inside the building because they only have three or four cops out on the street and two of them are out at lunch or what have you, or maybe one called in sick. And so you, you have these things that can occur where you need more than the two or three officers that are out on the beat. And now you need to say, okay, uh, Jimmy John, uh, we know that you're in the, in the station, get in the car and respond to, you know, rob school and because there's an active shooter. And so this call comes in active shooter. And what is it that begins to go through a police officer's mind? And, and it's one of it's one of two things. And I, and I again, I, I said this yesterday on my show. And so make sure that if you want more detail, you watch yesterday's show is that that first initial hearing of this kind of call is either. Yes, I'm, I can't. I'm, this is what I've been waiting for all my career or. Oh, crap. I was hoping this would never happen while I was working. And that's the reason I came to a small department, because these things don't happen in a small department. And uh, do and you're kind of do I step on the on the on the gas and go? Do I find something else to do? And so you have one of two reactions. That's only there's only those two reactions. 
It's either, yes, let's go, or, oh, shoot. I'm not sure if I'm ready for this. Am I, what's, what, what am I going to do? Is there, I hope there's a perimeter spot I can take. And this, this, this worry kind of comes through. How do I know this? Is because I've trained police officers all over the United States, hundreds if not thousands of them, and I've had these very similar thoughts um, echoed to me uh, when they come to my scenario and I say, all right, Officer Smith, uh, this is the scenario that you're coming into. We have an active shooter um, and we have uh, one person down and it's over the, the the first place I need you to go is right over here is where you, we have a, a position that I need you to take. And then from that point on, this is all yours and I need you to, I need you to handle it. And I either get, oh no, I've, I've never done this before. I'm not sure what to do. Yes, those are that, that is an exact quote from officers that have been at police departments for 10, 15, 20 years who are active duty police officers who come to a training scenario where I have given them the information and say, ready, go. And they go, I don't know what to do. What? <laughs> what do you mean you don't know what to do? And it's very shocking. It was very shocking. The very first time I heard this, I said, so what? So what? So what if you've never done this before? So what? I don't understand that response. I never understood that response. Why did you become a police officer if you did not have your first thought being, yes, I'm, hopefully I do this right. Hopefully I don't get anybody killed. Let's go. I'm going to I'm going to take on this scenario where, you know, who's my backup? Do I have radio? And, you know, and they, some guys get excited and they say, do I have backup? Do I have a helicopter? Do I have SWAT team available? Uh, and they ask a bunch of questions as they are going and as they're walking towards that position. Well, I have other officers who kind of lean back and say, um, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Can you tell me? Wait, you've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years. So you have one of those, one or two of those responses. And so that's what happens when a real call comes out. Hey, Shar, nice to see you. Um, thank you, Shar. I really appreciate that. She says, uh, hello again, interested in sh hearing your perspective. All right. So this is only I'm going to have to do another show to come up with the, with probably a little bit more of what happens here. But I'm going to give you that the first initial thoughts and what happens and what what can happen, Shar. Uh, so I hope this uh, makes some sense. So if you go to, again, go back to my show yesterday where you have people that become police officers and get pushed through or get carried through because everybody realizes in the process that this person probably should not be a police officer, but because we have so few people um, applying for these positions at law, at uh, law enforcement agencies is that you got to go, you know what, you're, you're bad, but you're not that bad. And it seems like you really want a job. It, it would be better if you were an accountant or you were uh, maybe even an attorney, maybe uh, something else, a politician, <laughs> because you really don't have what it takes. But since you're here and you're warm uh, and have blood flowing through your veins, you know what? We're, we're going to do what we can to get you through this process so that we can get you on the street and hopefully make something out of you. That is the wrong way to do this. This is, again, not how we used to do it. The process of getting out on the street every step along the way was to how to get you out even if you were a good candidate, they tried to get you out um, because they didn't like the color of your hair. They didn't like that you were white or they didn't like something about you that you were too short or too tall, but you had everything it took. They were still trying to get you out. And if you made it through after they tried to get you out by every means possible, then it was more likely you were going to have some success. But that's not what happened. What's happening today is that they were they were coddling and carrying people and putting them through. And so when that call comes in, the reaction isn't. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to get in there. It is, oh my gosh, I am I can't do this. I I'm I'm afraid. 
I'm scared. And so this is even before you're on scene, some of these officers. And I'm afraid to tell you that based on what I've heard on the radio transmissions uh, and some of the other recordings that I've heard and why they're standing out there so long is that this is kind of what's going on in their head. They, they may not be saying it out loud. They may not be even thinking it out loud, if you know what I mean, but their hesitation says everything. They're, they're asking for one more thing is a way of not uh, um, going in, of not going forward, of not checking the door to see if it's unlocked. Based on everything that I've seen and heard, they never even checked to see if the door was unlocked. And it turns out that what I'm hearing is that the door was unlocked. All right, so why does this happen? And so I'm gonna get into a little bit of science here. I'm not a biologist, but I'm gonna tell you that there's a few things that you need to know is that, that, um, is that when you feel fear, uh, I, had, I wrote it down because I always forget the name, Gadala, A-M-Y-D-A-L-A. It gets activated. Amygdala uh, uh, is the name of it, uh, but it's uh, pronounced probably way different. Uh, and that's a portion of your brain where it gets activated when the fear hits and you begin to perspirate, you begin, to, you begin to breathe heavy, you begin to, uh, your alertness actually is enhanced and that alertness either causes you problems or it gives you um, something good. You need to be alert and need to see what's going on. But in some cases that's bad, right? And so all these begin, the things begin to happen automatically to us when we are uh, afraid. Uh, but what ends up happening is it triggers another part of our body, which begins to trigger hormones, which gives you the decision whether to run or to stay, run or to stay, flight or fight, fight or flight, flight or fight. And you're gonna make a decision based on one of those things. And what also it triggers, which is the important thing, and this is what I mentioned earlier that you need to understand is that when it comes to your experience, whether your experience is real life or your experience is through a PowerPoint presentation, that memory gets triggered in that process of the amygdala and the uh, hippocampus and the, the hormones, it triggers your memories and your memories, bam, go. And it gets triggered. Now these memories are either going to cause you to even think faster to fly, to, fl to flee, fly, to flee, or to go in and fight and go in stronger. And so just understand, we all know flight or fight, everybody's heard it before, but these things happen so quickly, right? You hear the call, you're driving there, you're getting closer, now you're talking to yourself, now your memories are kicking in, what do I do next? What gun do I grab? Do I grab the, the, the long rifle? Do I grab the shotgun? Do I just go in with my handgun? Where's my shield? Where's my uh, hooligan tool that I'm gonna use to pry the door open? You, all these things begin to happen and that, that's, that's your memory kicking in to remember what tools it is that you need to take with you and what you need to have all right all that stuff begins to happen at the same time you are now either making further decisions what you're going to do next and you begin to uh, either get beef become frozen in your thought or you become more active in what it is you plan on doing you're not going to some guys are just going to go right in and they're not going to stop and they're going to go right through that door and they're going to try to take out the bad guy or they're going to get taken out themselves other people are on their way looking, oh, I don't have enough stuff. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I need one more guy. I need a now perimeter officer. I need a helicopter. I need the SWAT team to respond. I need another radio. I need, I need, I need, I need. These are the things that are, are causing you to prolong your desire to go in there, which is making it worse. And so I want to tell you, I've had lots of questions about, well, what about the parents? There was a, there was a mom that went in there and she wasn't afraid. Or you had a dad that went in there. He wasn't afraid. And I'm going to tell you right now that that same fear 
Remember, we talked about fight or flight, that same fear that's causing them to go in after their kid, their, the love of their child, is the same fear of a police officer whose child is not in there that's keeping them from going into that room. This is not a good reason necessarily for this situation. This isn't a positive thing. It's not an excuse for the police officer. I just want you to understand that the very same fear, when somebody asked me, what about the parent that went in there? Well, yeah, their fear, their fear for the life of their child overpowered their thought process and the, the fight or flight came in. They chose fight. I'm going to go in there and fight for my kid. That triggering caused them to make a decision. It caused them to make a decision. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's barely a thought process. It's a causation of the fear. The same thing that caused this woman, the mother or the father to go in because they knew their child was in there was the same fear. Again, understand me that caused this officer or one of the officers not to go in because they want to see their children again. They want to see their wife again. They want to see their family again. And that same fear did this. One went in and one stayed out. All right, so that's a possibility. Um, the other thing is fear is contagious. Fear is caught by the other people that are responding. If they see somebody standing and saying, hey, don't go that way, said they go, okay, why not? Because there's a gunman down there. Okay, and I see that you're afraid, so now I'm gonna be afraid, and now it's contagious. And if you had somebody that was a wobbler that was deciding whether to go in or not and saw you in fear, they go, oh, he's, a, he's afraid, then I'm afraid especially if it's a friend of yours. And in, in, in a small police department, you're quite often, you're really good friends with the other people that are going on there or uh, that are working in there. And so you have all these things that are happening as people are going on. And again, these are just so that you understand what's happening, why these officers probably did what they did. They were unexperienced, never experienced this kind of thing before. They've never been in an active shooter. They've never been in even the scene. They've had, again, I told you, Uvalde had two homicides in nine years. It's a good chance that none of the officers are there even saw a dead body in relationship to a homicide. They may have seen a suicide or um, an elderly person or somebody that died of natural causes, but that's completely different than looking at a body that has been killed by somebody and gunshot wounds and, and blood, blood spatter on a wall or somebody's head cut off with a machete. Um, that is completely different. And you don't even have that experience to fall back on to say, I, I didn't die. Nothing bad happened. I survived. And you were able to move on past that. If they don't have that, and this is their first experience. It's going to cause most people to freeze just to just to uh, share that with you. All right. So lack of lack of uh, lack of experience um, that's probably contagious. Uh, the same motivators that cause somebody to go in is the same motivators that causes somebody not to go in. And you have the this now this contagion, uh, this this uh, process where people are now deciding, well, we just need one more thing is now. Um, a, again, we talk about snowballs. I've, I've said this several times, but it is a snowball effect and people are freezing outside the door. All right. So as these officers and I'm going to try to do this uh, here without knocking too much stuff over. And hopefully this will work. All right. Well, the, here's a funny thing that it's, this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I used a green pen. So you're going to see that you can, it looks like you can see through this. It's because the pen is green. So anyway, it looks like the officers, let me come back on this other side over here. It looks like that, that at least from one of the photos that I have here is that you have the, these officers, there's little circles there. You have officers that are here on the corner and there's another corner down here that I, I didn't have room to, to fit it all in. And they can look down this hallway and I believe that there's a door here. Now I don't have the, the, um, the map of what this classroom looks like, but this is my rendering of what I think it looks like. So you have the, this is, this is covered, so it's indoors, this hallway. You got two officers here and I think there was another officer here on this other side and they're looking down, they have to, 
get, cover the space, get to the store. And then in schools, doors open out, like not in the house, like in our house, our front door, that door opens in. And that's why we can kick a door in to go inside somebody's house very easily. Um, but that, but not on a schoolroom. They're, they're quite often they're metal, uh, fire grade doors and the frame around the door entry is also made out of metal strong steel and so booting that door is not an option you need what's called a, a, a hooligan tool or a pry tool or a crowbar uh, to get these doors open and it's not easy especially if they have a a cover that goes over the top of the um, locking mechanism and again it's a process you need training you need to you need to do it and you need to learn how to do it fast all right so they're looking down here and this is where they're kind of frozen in time all of this thought process of how they're going to get from here to here to open the door and then where is the bad guy is the bad guy in the opposite corner with all the kids? Are there dead bodies down here as on the entry point? Again, this is all going on. And the longer they wait and hear the gunshots going off, they're, they're thinking about all the things that are before them that they can't quite cover um, everything, uh, you know, just by themselves. And that's why I think the guy, at least one guy, or if not two guys, kept thinking they needed more people, is that they're thinking the complexity of, of dealing with this. And again, the... Uh, the training should have told them that it doesn't matter. You need to go in. When we have an active shooter, um, the the option of waiting is not an option. It, that used to be an option back in the day. Back in the day, but it's no longer an option. All right. So as they're standing there, looking down the hallway, they're looking at the doors, and they they know. And I think there was some training again done before this, and they they have kind of an idea of what what's up what they're up against, and uh, they're thinking of all the excuses not to go in. On top of that, they're thinking about the, the weapons, right? I, I, I believe that they knew that there was probably an automatic weapon or they could hear it was an automatic weapon. Weapon. This is the bullet. Oh, sorry about my hands there. There we go. I must have green on my hands. Anyway, this is um, a 5.56. Five, so this is a 5.56 five, five, round. This box cost about 100 bucks. Um, for <laughs> this, my green screen is kicking in. Uh, but that's what it looks like. It's got a point on the end. Wow, this is really hard to do with the green screen. Uh, do you see it there? All right, so you got that. And then we either have, they either have nine millimeters or 45 rounds. The only bullets I have right now is this is a 45 handgun, and this is the round that goes in the 45. It's pretty, pretty big and pretty thick. And so these officers, they know what kind of guns are going on. They know about guns because every police officer shoots a gun. And so you have the idea that, well, how are we gonna overcome this? And the reason I showed you both bullets is this. If the uh, the shield that we see that's in that hallway can be a couple different kinds of shields, it could be just a shield that gives you some type of visual protection, or it gives you protection from somebody throwing a a brick at you or trying to punch you, uh, and that's all that really shield that shield is really good for. Then you have other shields that are good for handguns, which is a more of a stubby. This also can have a hollow point on the end of it, but for a stubby type of handgun. Um, it'll stop that kind of gun, but will not stop a rifle. See, this rifle is pointed and, and, and it flies through the air at a very high rate of speed and will will go right through a bullet grade, a, um, a pistol grade uh, shield where you need a rifle grade shield. So again, I'm just giving you things that are going to be working on the uh, police officer's minds. The shield, he knows what kind of shield he is. 
And that could be messing with him too. He goes, oh, you know what? We don't have the rifle shield. I still can't go in. No, no, that's all. You see, these are all the excuses that people are going through. And I've heard these excuses made. Well, they didn't maybe have the right shield. I think it doesn't matter. At this point, it doesn't matter. You have an active shooter. You can hear him shooting children in there. You have phone calls coming in from kids that are on the inside saying um, that my, my friend next to me was just shot and killed. You have this information coming. None of this stuff matters. I'm only telling you is because I know exactly what it is that's going on in their head is their, their reasoning why they can't go in. These are the excuses. When you hear these excuses, that's what they are. They're excuses. When your kids give you excuses and you go, listen, I, you need to just do what I told you to do. These are excuses. So don't, don't get fooled into thinking they, they, well, that they, they couldn't go in. No, they could still go in. I think everybody knows that, but I just want to make sure that there's not people out there that are looking at this and thinking, well, you know, he's right. He didn't have a rifle grade shield. And so maybe they needed to wait. No, it it doesn't matter. But um, people are talking about it anyway. All right. So can you go in with a with a handgun? Now, there's no magazine in here. Do you see that? No magazine. And there's no no rounds inside inside the handgun. All right. So as you're going in and you are making entry, can you go in and take down a man with a rifle? Yes. Yes, you can. And I'm going to show you how, um, at least have a, uh, have a, um, a good chance, right? you you still could get shot and killed. It's still possible, but you can do it. It's not like it's impossible. Cause again, the next excuse is that, well, we just had handguns. We didn't have anybody there with a long rifle. Now I see pictures, with a lot of police officers with, with long guns, uh, AR-15s or uh, some other type of uh, long gun as they're going in there. Um, and so I don't know what they're talking about when they say, well, we only had handguns. Well, it doesn't matter. Again, it doesn't matter. Um, be, because number one, I did see rifles. Number two, if they didn't have rifles, they still could have taken care of the job. All right. So what's the AR look like? So you have your AR, which is this handgun right here. And I'm not sure if you're going to, it won't fit entirely in the thing, but it is menacing, right? It is kind of scary what it is that uh, you're up against here. And you have the magazine and this is a, a 10 rounder. Just so uh, anybody watching that, you know, wants to make sure that I'm within compliance of the state of California. Yes, it's a, a 10 round and it goes, it goes in there and um, multiple rounds. You, the, uh, the bullets come out as you pull the trigger. There's no longer any automatic. This used to be an automatic weapon. The weapon, the weapon I carried when I was on the streets was an automatic weapon back in the day in the eighties and nineties, uh, but no longer is at least the weapons being sold auto, automatic in the sense, full auto, full auto. These are semi auto, which every time you pull the trigger, a bullet comes out, you take it out and you replace the magazine and put in a new one. All right. So that's what this looks like. And this is what they're up against. So yes, you know, if you were to, um, um, you know, on a, on a logical standpoint, when nobody's shooting at you, look at, yeah, the advantage goes to the guy with the long rifle. However, you can overcome it with a, a, a handgun. All right. So let me come, I'm going to come to my other camera over here. Now you're going to see the, the magic, how the magic happens. And you now you see me over here. All right. So I'm going to come over here to this door and I'm going to first use the handgun. And so one of the problems is that they never, as far as I can tell, and the reporting is they never tried the, the door to see if it was unlocked. <laughs> and they would have probably found that it was unlocked. That is not actually not that uncommon. I, I've had um, 
you know, been on raids with, um, you know, investigators and detectives as, as we go to take down a door, whether it's a SWAT team or not. And they don't even check to see if the door is unlocked. They just boot the door on a, on a house. It's fairly easy. You just come up to the door, you got your handgun out, and then you boot the door right at the right at the doorknob so you come up with your boot and if this was opening that direction i understand again this door opens this way so but you kick and you push through but you have to kick right next to the doorknob and you push and you will break break the the, the molding on the door uh the i forget what it's called but the you know the frame of the door and that door will go inside and you and you go right in and quite often i i i sometimes will wonder why didn't you check why didn't you check to see if it was unlocked it's it's not that unusual i know this seems very strange but we just assume i think most police officers assume that doors are locked and so they just go right home and kick them so there was no chance that they uh there's no uh, at least based on what i've heard and what i've seen in pictures i haven't seen video yet that they didn't check the door all right so when you are making entry on a door like this um, which opens out and you have a pry tool so you have a pry tool that you shove into the door and then you pry the frame away from the door that will allow the little chingadero which is this thing right here to come through and to come out so you can get this door open and it, you, it takes more than one person uh, in most cases you you come in here and you pry back you pry the, the frame away from the door then somebody opens this door and pushes it open so you need two guys two guys so you have one person prying you have one guy opening and you open the door and it, it swings open there's usually another guy on the other side of the door who catches the door so it doesn't swing back and now he's got a gun i've got a gun this guy with a tool is often not armed or he'll have a rifle slung around his shoulder and he gets out of the way and now he drops the the tool he regains his weapon and now you begin to make entry so what's the important thing that, to know as you're coming in and that is if you have only a handgun and and the rifle is actually the same thing as this door comes open you can see that there's a bad guy standing right there right so i have my bad guy here i don't have a guy on the other side holding the door you have a bad guy right there right now he can't see me and i can't see him so what you want to make sure and not do as a police officer is come around and stick your head because now you're dead right so what you need to do as you come around is we call it cutting the pie and you slowly come out and i can right now see his shoulder and I can see his shoulder and right now if I know that this is a guy that I'm going to take out you can then drop out and then bam and you hit him at like two or three rounds before he can fire at you but you want to come out away from this door and come in as you are as you are over here you can see into the room that direction and it's very hard to hit me if he's in that room that far now can he yes but it's difficult if you are in a really good position and you come out and now so i to say i don't see anybody yet but as i'm moving i'm looking i'm looking i'm looking and i can communicate to what i see to these guys over here as they're looking in that direction and tell them what i see i see three kids i see a teacher on the ground i see two people on the ground and bad guy bad guy he's at the far east northeast corner um he's uh he's whatever right or i maybe take two shots at him or i go in because he's occupied or busy all these decisions are made I, I want you to understand and what i'm trying to tell you is it is not necessarily it can be it's not necessarily open the door and run in and then and then you get shot there's got to be some tactics taken as you're going in in many cases every scenario is slightly different but as you pull over the door you step back and now you can see a sliver of the room and you begin to scan the room as you're coming out 
and you make decisions, make decisions, make decisions, make decisions. And one of those is going to fire or one of them is going to go in. And you can be the lead guy or the other guy is the lead guy. And as soon as you say you go, you go straight in this way. You're hoping this guy is covering this side of the wall. And then you make your decisions as you, as you go in. Now, as far as a, if you have a rifle, the rifle is not much difference. Now, I don't have a sling, but your sling is holding your rifle down here close to your body. It gets pried open. You know, bring it up. And the same thing happens as you're coming around, coming around, coming around. And you see the guy's shoulder and bam, you can take a shot at his shoulder and take him down and then come in and then go down and then shoot him. If he has a hostage, that's a completely different situation. But understand that these things happen in a very tactical way. And right now I can just see the edge of his shoulder and I have a full shot right there. And I could just hit him on the shoulder and take him down right away. Now, is he going to be standing there still like the, my, like my little statue here? No, he, he may be waving back and forth and doing a bunch of different things. We don't know a whole bunch of different things can be happening. But again, you, you do this. Oops, sorry. <laughs> you take this on tactically and you do it in a way that is safe as you're beginning to enter. So here are the things I just wanted to bring up today. Why did they freeze? Uh, all the reasons I told you. Lack of experience, um, no history, no memory of how, to, how they handled it the first time. PowerPoint training, PowerPoint uh, um, teaching and training and walking through something and maybe getting shot with a couple paintball, uh, paintballs is is decent training, but you really need to take them through some very hard training that actually scares them and puts them in a position where they have to make some hard decisions and maybe even frighten them a little bit and make some, put some flashbangs, really challenge their senses. That training needs to be uh, very strong and, um, and really challenge them to push through something that frightens them or makes them scared. That's the kind of training you need. Minus that, you're, you're honestly not very prepared uh, for these types of situations when they come up. Uh, minus that, what, what you need is you need to hire people that have the desire to do the job fully and not partially or are doing it just because they like the pay and like the benefits. That's not why you become a police officer. I went through a whole list of things why you become a police officer. And so we need to hire men and women who understand that their job is to go in regardless of what they have regardless of what they have available. If they get to a, a, a active shooter at a, at a school that you hire people that you believe when it actually comes down to it, that they're gonna run into that door regardless of all the tools, not coming through all the excuses that I gave you, all the things that they thought of as an excuse not to go in is not how you want a police officer to think. You want them to think, what do I need to do now regardless of the tools I have available? I just showed you how they could have done it very safely. They didn't need to run through that door. They, they could have started very quickly. They could have tested the door to see if it was unlocked or not. They could have diversion, and we didn't talk that much about that, and maybe I will on the next show, where they could have thrown a rock through a back window on, that, on the drawing that I showed you. There was, I think there's, door, there's a back door, right? From what we heard, that's where the suspect entered. The door that they're trying to go through is what would be considered the front door inside that hallway. And so there's all kinds of diversions that could have taken place on the back door or a back window. Um, they could have knocked on that second door Door that's down the hallway a little bit further they could have they could have pried both doors open at the same time and cause a diversion or cause the the suspect to be confused um and there's so much that could have been done that none of that stuff was discussed and so um to to wrap this up uh and oh 43 minutes <laughs> i meant to do this in 30 minutes to wrap this up um and i'm going to get to some of these questions here uh that are on there or some of the comments that are on here is that um 
there's so much to this um, uh, the situation, this particular incident is what I was looking for. This incident that this police department needs a complete, a complete um, shakeup and and turnover uh, from the chief down, because it's just there's no one there out of the 30 officers of what I've seen so far that did the job properly. There was not anyone that did anything in regard to the public relations into handling the call uh, through a, um, you know, from a chain of command standpoint that did the right thing. Um, I've seen them speak on camera. None of them sound like they have any knowledge of law enforcement. They have no knowledge of how to talk through um, an incident when it comes to public relations. Uh, from the pictures I've seen, there was every excuse not to go in and no reasons to go in until another agency got there. And again, remember when I talk about larger agencies like the Border Patrol or even the Sheriff's Departments, they're much larger. They have much more area to cover. They're, they're much more likely to have been in a situation where they've dealt with active shooters or a robbery in progress or a, a, a drive-by shooting in progress or something like that. Not Yavaldi because they were a small police department, but you had these other ones come in and say, what are you guys waiting out here for? Let's go in. The problem is now they're under the jurisdiction of Uvalde and Uvalde saying, no, we need you to stand down. Um, not the chief of police said not to go in yet. And then for a moment they're sitting there going, this doesn't make any sense. But in a, in a hierarchy, like a, a military hierarchy, like we have in, in the police department, for a moment, they're saying we got to follow this chain of command. It may, may be wrong, um, but um, we're, we're following. Maybe they know something we don't know. I mean, you, you would you would think that coming into another agency and I've and I've been involved in, in a lot of um, um, assist other department calls where I'm, at, uh, you know, either, I'm from Anaheim and I'm in La Palma or I'm in Brea or I'm wherever where I have to go there and say, OK, what is it you need me to do? How do you need me to help you? And then I have to listen to what they have to say. I have to listen to what their commanders say. And I and I don't go against that because now I'm a representative of Anaheim Police Department. And the first thing I could do is come in there and say, OK, screw you guys. I'm doing what I want to do. That just this doesn't happen. But at some point, you can disobey an unlawful command. And in some ways, I would think that uh, not going in when the industry standard for law enforcement is to go in on an active shooter at a school, not to wait, that at some point that became an unlawful command. And that's why you saw Border Patrol take the lead and probably a sheriff's officer, sheriff deputy come in and take the lead uh, and disobey essentially the unlawful commands of the chief of police, I think, who was in charge of the scene and say, screw that, we're going in. And that's what ended up happening. That needed to happen sooner. Um, you, it's sad that this happened in such a police department where all of these things I talked about are, is what happened. I'm telling you, I know for sure that you had an unprepared police department in a situation that they did not know how to handle and it caused them to freeze. And that is why the officers froze. No life experience, no, tr no real good training on how to handle these situations. And, uh, it, it comes from the top down, the top down. Uh, it is unfortunate for these officers that they were hired. It is, it, is, it is the department's fault for hiring them. They, these officers were not prepared. They were not trained properly. They were probably hired um, and they shouldn't have been hired. And uh, it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, for these families that this happened in this city at this time. In other cities this size, you can go through an entire three decades, four decades and never, never even test your police department. 
I know police officers never have pulled their weapons out of their holsters on duty. They've done it at the range or they've done it to get the cheese or, you know, from Taco Bell or get the, the lettuce, you know, out of their out of their uh, guns, <laughs> out of their magazine pouches. Um, and they go, I've just never had a need to pull my gun. And that's usually what you get at small police departments that have 30 or 40 officers uh, in some of these uh, cities that are around us. That uh, That's, again, why they go there. They think, if I go to this apartment, I, I get to wear the badge, I get to have a gun, I get to drive a cool car around, and uh, people think I'm really nice and cool. And But the good news is I came to this apartment because nothing really happens here. And that's why they went there. Um, and, and here they are in a situation where... They were not prepared and not ready and never wanted to be in that position, truly. And it's unfortunate. So I, I believe this police department just needs to uh, be gutted and needs to start all over again. If they want to call me uh, to help them with that, I'd be happy to help them with, with some decision making and some training if they need it. Uh, that would be really important for them to have. All right. So sorry, let me get to these things. I hope I hope all this made sense. I want to make sure and give you some uh, understanding. Um, and it, some of it's hard uh, to explain. Some of it is difficult to um, to say. Um, but it, some of it needs to be said. Thinking of those kids makes me sick. I feel for those parents who tried to go in. As a parent, I am uh, going in, no hesitation. Yeah, and that is that the, what we have as parents. It's going to cause us to go. There's not going to be any hesitation. And, and Char, I think you would go if it wasn't your kid. I, I think if uh, you had responded, your kid, is. you see your kid coming out quite often, um, uh, not quite often, but... Um, Quite seriously, you know, the decision not to go in may now change, right? I'm not sure, Char. That's actually an industry question. What do you think? Uh, let me ask you, because you're a very strong woman. You get up and speak at school board meeting. I mean, you 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 walk the walk and you, you talk the talk. Um, but what would happen? Do you, do you understand my question is that with your kid inside there, there's no doubt. I mean, I don't care which kid. I love all my kids. Um, I would go in if one of my kids was in there. But for me, if my kids were safe, I would still go in of how I was trained and how I was raised and uh, that that's my job as a man on this earth. And there is a difference between men and women. And I feel strongly that as a man, my job is to protect women and children. That is my job. And so I would go in, even if it wasn't my kids. Uh, for a mom, Char, if you're still on, what do you think? Uh, if, if your child is not in there and if you, if you don't feel like answering, that's cool. Um, but um, what, what about that? What do you think? If, if you see that your child is safe, now think, okay, my child is safe. Now think, now would I go in? I don't know. Because do you see what I'm saying? Do you see where these officers were and how you can look at the scenario a little bit differently and say, look at those parents went in, but the cops didn't. Yeah, but they're having the same thought that you're having. That I I don't want to die because I want to see my kids. Why would I go in there and sacrifice myself when my kids are safely here? And so that uh, that kind of changes things just a little bit. Um, flight uh fight flight freeze yeah they they definitely froze uh everyone well not everyone uh, uh rose asked did everyone freeze and i believe that's your question and at least the initial officers i believe it was the uvalde officers as far as i could tell were the ones that froze and and there's a sheriff deputy there too and the only reason i can tell that is because why because it's a sheriff on the back of his uh, vest um and i'm not sure what he was saying i don't know exactly what his words were if we heard them on a recording or not but somebody said, hey, we need to get in there. And somebody said, stand down. The chief said, no, don't go in yet. And again, whoever it was, even if it's from Border Patrol or the Sheriff's Department, they had to stand down. But they shouldn't have stand down um, and should have violated that, that direct order. So um, not everyone, but they froze long enough. They froze far too long. Uh, Shar says, I think they were taking direction from the chief to stand down. Yes, 
Yes, that's my understanding too, Shar. Um, thanks for you and sad. It is sad. Shar, oh boy, that's a tough one, right? If my child is not in there, do I risk my life going in? If I'm armed, I think I would. Yeah, Shar, for some reason, I, I didn't mean to pick on you specifically, but for some reason, when I think of you, I think that there's a good chance that if you were armed, that you would, you would go in. Um, but again, do you see how difficult it is? Do you see what it is that a human being now, not, I'm just want to take this out of the law enforcement side of things. Cause we think when you put a uniform on that now we just expect you just need to do this thing. You need, <laughs> you need, you need to go do that. Um, but inside that uniform is a human being. And sometimes there's a human being in there that should not be a police officer. They're not necessarily a bad person. And I want, and that's why I'm very sad and very uncomfortable sometimes talking about this thing because I'm not telling you that that Uvalde officer, the first, the second, or the third Uvalde officer that responded and arrived, I don't think necessarily that they're they're bad people in the sense that they're just bad people. It, it is that they are a person who are in a job where they shouldn't be in that position. They should not be in that job, and it's because we allowed them to get that job that they thought they wanted, but weren't really prepared to do. All right. So this can be very complex and I'm, and I'm trying to take something that's really complex and trying to simplify it in some ways. And I know I may be doing this, the opposite of that, but do you understand what I'm saying is that you have these human beings that really think they want to do this job. They've seen it on TV. Maybe they played, uh, you know, some type of video game or something like that. And it seems really fun, but sorry, I'm sweating a lot of hearing it taught in this room. Um, but, they are human beings that have all these same things that all of us have fear, uh, adrenaline, um, decision making that could be wrong and could be right. Um, um, fight or flight, all these things going on, like all of us, but it takes a very special person to be able to then follow through for somebody else that you're not related to. That's not a family member that you don't even know that you're going to run into that room for somebody you don't know and get shot. And you're going to sacrifice yourself for somebody you don't know. That takes a special person. And so I want to make sure you understand that I'm not saying necessarily that these officers are bad. Did they do something criminal? I don't know. I don't know enough yet that they do anything criminal. They can fall back on their following uh, orders from the chief of police. He may be held criminal. It may be because he was safely in his car or something at Starbucks. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where he was, but he could be held criminal. Are these officers going to be held criminal? I don't know yet. I don't know enough information. As they find out more information, I'll let you know. But we have human beings that are in a position they should have been in because based on what I saw, they uh, were not committed. They were not committed to going in. All right, my friends. I tried to keep it at 30 minutes, but here we are approaching an hour. Um, I appreciate you guys watching. Uh, I love your feedback. I've gotten so many comments from people on uh, Messenger and uh, text and things like that. Please let me know if I was all over the place or not, or if I gave you good content and good information. Um, I do have another perspective I want to look at it at some point. I may not come back tomorrow, maybe in a couple of days, because some of these things are I just, again, I want to try to find out some more information. So please let me know what it is you think. And if you liked it and you think other people should hear it, please share. Uh, we're broadcasting on Facebook, uh, YouTube, Twitter, and uh, Rumble. So um, any one of those platforms, go them, go to one of those platforms if you're not there and share out your favorite if you would like. All right. All right, my friends. Uh, thank you for watching. I appreciate you guys very much. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye.